First Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news. Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by watching your pure, godly behavior. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. That is the way the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, when she called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear or of what your husband might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Good. I'm glad. Now you remember that we're in the process of doing a three-sermon series within the larger sermon series of 1 Peter. And what we're looking at is how we live beautifully the gospel life around us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how we live beautifully the gospel life as a resident of this world. We've talked about how we live beautifully as the gospel life, as somebody without power or somebody with power. That was last week. And today we're going to talk about how we live beautifully this relationship, uh, this gospel life in relationship. So that's where we're looking today. Now, you heard that word submit yet again, or be subject and we've talked about that word quite a bit. And in this context, it's specifically speaking husbands and wives and talking about that relationship. The reality is that that has become somewhat of a punchline or a place of bristling in our society. So we'll hear this verse or verses like this throughout Scripture, and many of us will go, well, that was a, a, another time or another place, and there's a bristling that can take place. We, we kind of go, oh, I... I if that's in the Bible, I'm not sure I can take that part. Maybe we can remove it out. It also sometimes becomes a punchline. Maybe you've seen the shirt that says, uh, a man might wear that says, I can do anything I want, but I need to check with my wife first. Right? It's that sort of, yes, of course the man is in control, but not, not really. And part of that springs from the fact that we have a very misinformed understanding of that word submit. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to go back and address that word submit a little bit more. And then we're going to talk about the particular thing that Peter is talking about here. There's a particular situation that he's talking about in this passage. And so we need to look at that. And it's sort of, this is what he's saying. And then there's some general applications that we can make to our lives as those who live beautifully the gospel life. 
Does that make sense? All right, so submit. The last couple of weeks, we've used this definition to help us understand it. That being submissive or being subject has less to do with the person in power, but has more to do with our response to that power. It really, for those of us who are in Christ, has less to do with those who are in power, our perceived power, and more to do with our response to that power. The Greek word that's used here has two distinct meanings, really, in the vocabulary. The first one is much more of a military-type term that says to arrange the troops in order, to fashion them under the command of a leader. So there's a person in power, and people line up. Now, there's a sense of allegiance that goes with that. That's, there's a sense of, I've got to get underneath and be correct in this sort of pecking system. And in that culture, in the Roman culture, and also in the Jewish culture, that was seen as very clear. And it was done in order to keep society sort of from going crazy, although it didn't do that. <laughs> but the non-military meaning is a sense of, uh, of this, a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibilities are carrying the burden. So a sense of submission in Christian relationships as we live beautifully shouldn't be understood only as I've got to align underneath the person in power. Remembering that who's the ultimate? God. Right? So I align under God first. And then as God puts people in power over me, I line up underneath them. It's not just that. It's actually a sense of assuming responsibility. There are things for me to do in this. It's a sense of carrying the burden. That person can't accomplish what they're called to accomplish on their own, by themselves. They need me to come along and help them of carrying the burden with them. And in fact, they're in that position in order to carry the burden with me. So it's much more of a sense of loyalty and cooperation, of support, of deference, of humility, and of consideration towards someone. So let's sort of try and shake off as we step into the particularness of this verse, the baggage that we carry. And the first thing we have to say is, I've got baggage. Can everybody just say that for me? Just say, I've got baggage. I've got baggage. Yeah. We've got to admit it and we've got to say, there's things that I bring to this that I've got to let go of, that I've got to go, oh, I, I bristle or I want to make a joke of it. Listen, we've already seen the example of what this is in this passage. Jesus Christ is the example of ultimate submission to come underneath and carry along. He carries our burden, right? He cooperates with humanity. He steps into the flesh in order to bring salvation. So first of all, it's not a bad word. It's a challenging word, but it's not a bad word for us. All right, 
So that's what submission really means in these terms. But let's look at the specific thing that is going on here, what Peter is really addressing and what is happening in this place. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So what's happening here is Peter is addressing women within the gathering who are married to non-believers, those who are not quite following the word of God, those who have refused the truth of who God is. He's specifically speaking to them at this point. And he's saying, likewise, referring back to the example of, of Christ, Likewise, you should be like Christ to your unbelieving husbands. You should be that person to them so that they will come to know who he is. So in some sense, what we see Peter talking about here is the reason why you're doing this is because we want your husband to know who Jesus is. And so you be Jesus to them. it might seem counterintuitive. Wait, wait a minute, we might say. Shouldn't she, as a follower of Jesus, not listen to a pagan and listen to God? Yes. And as a matter of fact, it would be pretty subversive for a woman to come to faith in Christ on her own, in the culture that they were living in. You see, because here's the thing, women had no right to choose what religion they would be. They had to follow whatever the husband had decided. And so if the husband decided this is the God that we're worshiping or these are the multiple gods that we're worshiping, then you have to worship these. And if she were to come in and say, I can no longer worship those gods because I worship the one true God, it was seen as out and out rebellion. Now Peter notices he's not saying to her, don't stop worshiping God. What, she, what he says is, I want you to honor and be submissive and come along your husband while you're doing this in order that he will see your good works. We, we've seen this earlier in the passage, right? He says, look, they're going to give you a hard time. They're going to give you, uh, uh, they're going to look at you and they're going to say all sorts of bad things to you. It says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they will speak against you as evildoers. They may also see your good deeds and glorify God. See, what he's saying to them is saying, look, you're already doing something subversive. You're already doing something that would be viewed as non-submissive. So in these areas in your life, I want you to be as submissive and honoring to them as you can without going against the word of God in order for them to be known and know you. That's what he says there, right? That they may be one without a word, but by your conduct... Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, or the putting on of gold jewelry or clothes you wear. Let your adorning be hidden person in your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet, sorry, quiet spirit. <laughs> See, again, we look at that and we go, okay, what is Peter really trying to tell these folks? Well, you we have to remember, in the context of what he's talking about is that wealthy women dressed up. Women of ill repute dressed up. They made themselves fancy and they adorned themselves externally in order to gain 
height, in order to gain respect, in order to be seen as more than what they were. And Peter is saying, you don't need to worry about those things. You're already being subversive in your family. <laughs> You're already doing something that could be seen as non-submitting by following Jesus. And so I don't want you to put on all sorts of stuff to make yourself feel better about yourself externally. So I already am doing something wrong, but I want to feel good about myself, so I'm going to look good on the outside. He says, don't do that. And then he talks about being quiet. And that's not him saying, be silent. That's not Peter saying, keep your mouth shut and just do what he says. But perhaps... A woman who has come to this faith in Jesus, who has fallen madly and deeply in love with God, who's all of a sudden first love is no longer her husband, but first love is the Lord Almighty. Maybe she just can't help but continue to talk about it. Maybe she just can't help. Shouldn't we all be that way? And Peter is saying to them, as you continue to talk about that, sometimes your actions need to speak louder than your words. Because not only are you being subversive already by saying, I'm going to follow only Jesus and not all the other gods that you have in this house. If you were to say, and you should keep doing this. And if you don't do this, you're wrong. And if you can't come to this understanding, I'm sorry, you're going to hell. And if you don't, think about how that would affect the husband's heart towards his wife. He, he might decide, I'm just going to put her off, put her away. I can't, I can't deal with that Jesus freak anymore, that God botherer anymore. I've got to put her aside. And he's saying, no, I want you to be speaking with your actions. It's good for us to recognize that for Peter to address women at all is subversive. You see, because when we look at the Roman household codes that are here, that Peter and Paul and his sort of adopt as they're going through this, it only addresses the people in power. The Roman household codes, the Greek household codes that say this is how your house should run, only addresses the people in power. But what Peter does in each one of these circumstances, he says, not citizens, but residents, people without power. Not masters, but slaves. People without power. Not the husbands, but wives. You see, the fact that he's even addressing them is so subversive. Is so underneath and undoing the way that the systems had been set up. And saying, there's a way for you to live a submissive life and still honor God and know your dignity. Know exactly who you are. But then he turns to husbands. And he says to the husbands, I want you to live with your wives in understanding ways, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He's speaking to the husband, saying, you can't live like all the other husbands in the world do. You see, because the husband had no qualms of not showing his wife honor. 
She was there just for his pleasure. And really, not just for his pleasure. As a matter of fact, if you look at what some Romans have written, they say you have prostitutes for self-serving yourself. You have mistresses so that you have affection and you have a wife to bring you children. As a matter of fact, that thing saying live with your wives, some people interpret it as saying get back in your house. Quit living away from your wife. Because men in that culture would have their wife in their home, but they would go and spend time all these other places. And Peter is saying, no, you don't do that. You, as those who live beautifully the gospel life, you live at home with your wife. Not only do you live at home with your wife, you don't put her down. You honor her. Wait a minute. Women don't do honor. And he says, no, you honor them. Then he says that word weaker. (laughs) And we might hear that and go, oh, what's he trying to say there? Are they less than? That's not his point. As a matter of fact, his point is to say, traditionally, women are weaker body. Now, I've met women who could take me out. So I know that that's not true all cases, all the time. But it is specifically talking about their weakness in their body, physical weakness. Not that they're weak intellectually, We know that not to be true, not that they're weak in other ways, but just physical body, that they're weaker. But also, it could mean that they are weaker in society. They're not seen to have have power. They're not seen to be people who can have honor. And so what Peter is saying is, you treat them with honor. Why? Because they are equal to you. Co-heirs with you. It's good for us to recognize that when Peter starts that conversation to husbands, what does he say? Likewise. What does the likewise refer to? He said it to the wives as well. Likewise. What does it refer to? It refers to the submission of Christ. He's saying, just like Christ, you do this. So when we come to Peter's context, we have to look at it and say, Christian wives from their lowly position in this society, had a very honorable task of trying to win their unbelievers to Christ. Meanwhile, Christian husbands had to forfeit the heavy-handedness that was a custom in the culture, and they had to honor their wives as sisters in Christ. So there's a sense of, as Ephesians tells us, Mutual submission that should be taking place between husbands and wives. Neil Patagina is a professor at Calvin Theological Seminary. And he tells a story of his dad trying to explain this to him. And he puts it this way. At a young age, my dad sat me down and he explained how these things, submission and love, go among devout and well-married people. He said, the ordinary rhythm of a Christian marriage, he said, is one of full equality and mutual submission. We submit to each other, even as husbands and wives. It's a sign that the spirit of Christ is within us. In fact, as an overture to the husband and wife passages in Ephesians 5, his dad tells him, Paul remarks, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, accordingly, we might suppose in some areas a husband will submit to his wife's natural superiority in judgment or expertise, and in others she will submit to his. Here's the point. Neither is worried that the other will take advantage of them. 
each knows that the other person is a Christian. And so as far as possible then, each one of them tries to let the other have full sway. After all, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never insists on its own way. So he said, his dad then explained to him, one day there might be a real disagreement that arises between a husband and wife. And peripheral issues are part away one at a time, and the truly basic agreement is exposed. And husbands and wife assume their natural rhythm, each one attempting to submit to one another and the, each other's judgment. And so the husband says, dear, we'll go the way you want to go on this. And the wife says, oh no, we'll go the way that you want to go on this. And back and forth they go till there's a deadlock. And it's obvious that they're not going to go forward. And finally, the husband draws himself up in the Lord in his full height, and he says, look, for once in our marriage, I'm going to have to break the tie. I'll hereby invoke the headship principle. Honey, you're right, and we're going to go the way that you want to go, and I don't want to hear another word about it. When we come to this idea within a marriage about submission, because that's what Peter's speaking specifically about here. One of the main principles that we have to recognize is that our identity of being the husband or the wife, our identity of feeling like we are fulfilled in this marriage has actually nothing to do with that other person or my own perception of myself. It has everything to do with who we are in Christ alone. We get this sense from movies and culture around us that either I have to be complete in myself or I have to find the great other to make me complete. That once I find that right person, that perfect person, then I'll be good. The church does a, a terrible job at this as well. Sometimes we don't acknowledge well singleness and God's call to that. God has called you to who you are and where you're at and what you're doing. But your identity doesn't rest in the fact that you're single or married. It rests in the fact that you are in Christ. Stanley Herrenhauser puts it this way. He says, we imagine that there is someone just right out there for us. And we dream that if we look close enough, we'll find the right person. And he says, but you know what? We always marry the wrong person. And if we pause long enough, we'll recognize that we're the wrong person as well. Furthermore, we never know whom we're going to marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will become the wrong person. And the realization is that it's not about that relationship that makes me whole. It's about my relationship with Jesus that makes me whole. And in that, then it gives me the ability to step into a place of submission and of honor. Because I don't have my own interest at hearts. I have my interest of those who are around me at heart. Now, sadly, I would say that too often people use passages like this to justify an action sometimes abusive in their way. And let me just be very clear. 
That's not from God. If it hinders or hurts, if it suppresses or oppresses, it's not from God. If it releases to potential and freedom, if it honors and brings love and grace, if mercy is present, then it is. So, very particularly, that's what Peter is speaking about. But generally, what does that mean for us today? Some of us are husbands. Some of us are wives. We can grab some things from that, that my identity is in Christ alone, that that's what gives me the power to honor and submit. But some of us are not there. The reality, though, is that we all have relationships, and all of our relationships are tinged by this desire to either be above or to not be controlled. <laughs> to be above and controlling or just to be left alone and not controlled. All of us in our relationships have a place where our hearts step in and say, but I want my way. I want what I want. All of us within our hearts have some place where our desires creep in and our desires bring conflict because the gospel tells us to live beautifully is my desire is to lift up God and experience his grace by sharing with those around me. That my elevation is so less insignificant, is so more insignificant than God's elevation. The key to this is likewise. The key to living the beautiful life is likewise. That we are called every day to play the Jesus role in every one of our relationships. That we're called to be the one who steps in and says, can I lift you up? We're called to be the ones that steps in with unconditional steadfast love. We're called to be the ones to seek those who are hurting and those who are lost. And yes, we are called even to submit my own desires, nay, my own freedom out of reverence for Christ, for those who are around me and who I'm in relationship with. When we begin to look and recognize that in every situation, every relationship we have rests only in our truth identity, and we are called to invite others to experience and have knowledge of God's relentless, loving pursuit to bring us into whole relationship with himself, with our own selves, with all others, and with place. Then we begin to live lives that are salt and light. We begin to live lives that bring mercy and grace. We begin to live lives that lift up Christ so that all men can be brought to him and they will see and be changed. Becky Pemberton, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, which is a book about evangelism, says those who are believers and those who aren't believers in God both have a pro the same problem with evangelism. We're both uncomfortable with it. See, ultimately, what we've been talking about over the last three weeks is how we live such beautiful lives that people can't help 
that bring glory to God. It's the best form of evangelism. It's to live such beautiful lives, lives that look like Christ, lives that speak like Christ, lives that walk like Christ, that it calls them to himself. So if you're here and you have seen the church not walk that way, let me say, yes, we don't. And we're sorry. But if you're here and you've been following Christ a long time, I want to remind you that it's not about ticking boxes, that it's not about making sure you have your theology correct. That, that's important, but it's not just about that. It is about, are you walking, submitted, Christ. And in being submitted to Christ, it removes your desire to be king or queen of your own life and allow the king of the universe to rule you and move you and shape you and transform you so that everyone around sees his glory. Again, in every situation, in every relationship we're called to. We're called to be Jesus. We're called to be Christ. And we know because he says in this place, if you're without power, it's okay. If you're without honor, it's okay. Because I was without power and I was without honor. If you don't fit in, it's okay. Because I didn't fit in. <laughs> but I have come to you to bring you to your wholeness. Let's pray. Father God, hold us in your wholeness. Hold us in who you are and all that you have completed. Hold us in that place of recognition that though our hearts long to elevate ourselves, you gently, with kindness, bring us to repentance so that we can elevate you. Let us be Jesus to those we encounter. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you please?